John 15. Let's stand if we would for the reading of God's Word. I believe the message tonight will be an encouragement and a help to all of us this evening. John 15. The Bible says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This has been one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible since I was a young boy. I might even say it's my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Tonight I want to preach a sermon to you from my heart to yours entitled, This Command of Christ to Abide in Me. Jesus said, Abide in Me. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I pray that the sermon this evening would be a, a refreshing reminder and some encouragement of the importance of having that intimate relationship with You. We highlighted it last week passionately looking at how the church of Ephesus had left their first love. This week, we look at Jesus' final plea with His disciples before He would head off to be crucified there in that upper room where He told them, you and I have to be together. We have to be intimate. We have to be one with another. So Lord God, would You work on our hearts tonight? Encourage us to be Christians that bear fruit, not just for a season of life, but for a lifetime. Lord God, help us to understand the Scriptures this evening and encourage us with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you here have been saved for many years. You have a strong knowledge of the Bible. You have eliminated many of your past habitual sins and there is strong evidence that you indeed are a Christian. You go to church. Here you are on a Sunday evening. Your mouth is cleaned up. You live a separated lifestyle from the world. Maybe you've even begun to bear fruit in your Christian life. Well, what now? What's next? Satan wants nothing more than to see that sprout, that branch that's tied into the vine, that young tree, to produce as little as possible for the Lord. This evening we turn our attention to the 15th chapter of John, and we talk about the most vital step in maintaining that tree or that branch that can produce much fruit for the Savior. Jesus commanded His disciples... In John 15, over and over again, He commanded them, Abide in Me. Abide in Me. I believe that each Christian must develop a strong, tight-knit, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is our Savior that provides the spiritual nutrients to get you from day to day, struggle to struggle, Problem to problem, joy to joy, uh, uh, season of life to season of life. If our relationship with Jesus Christ dries up, all evidence of our Christian life eventually will dry up as well. As born again believers, we've not been called to go through the motions of religious rituals. 
Rather, we've been called to have a daily, listen now, even moment by moment relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A moment by moment relationship. I believe I'm speaking to a mature crowd this evening. Not everyone here has been in our church for a long time, but most of you have. I don't know that anything I'm going to preach tonight will be new. Sometimes we don't need to hear something new. We just need to be reminded of those things which we already know. We're going to look at three components to this command found here in John 15 to abide in Christ. Alright? Let's look at the first component or first thought here. Abiding in Christ is personable. It is personable. Look at John 15. And look at verse number 4. The Bible says, Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in Me. And right there at the beginning of the verse, we see Jesus says, Abide in Me, and I in you. Well, let's look at letter A, the definition of abide. The definition of abide. What does it mean to abide? Now, I went looking through some modern dictionaries and I was very dissatisfied with the definition that I had received. And so I uh, pulled out an old dictionary that I had received as a gift a long time ago. A dictionary that was written around the time that the Bible was translated, at least closer to than many of our modern ones. And found one that I believe is a far better definition Or the word abide. What does it mean to abide? Well, here's a definition for you. Abide means to dwell, to tarry, to stay and rest. To dwell, to tarry, to stay and rest. Stop and think about that for a moment. To abide with Jesus means to dwell with Jesus. It means to tarry for a while. It means to stay and rest. Let me ask a question tonight. How many of you enjoy having friends over to your home? Raise your hand if you enjoy having folks over in your home. The rest of you, I'll meet you at the coffee shop. Do not come to my house, alright? I enjoy having people over to uh, my home. In fact, we have invited most of the church family into our home. If you've never been invited uh, into our home and you would like to come over, see me or my wife after church and we will arrange a time to have you over for dinner. We want everybody in the church to have dinner in our home on a regular basis, or uh, maybe not like Tuesday night, because, you know, we, we do want our family time too, but we enjoy having people over in our home, and we enjoy being hospitable. Have you ever had someone come over who couldn't take the hint it was time for them to go home? You know what I'm talking about? And you, you look at them, and you're like, okay, it's 1030, you know, it, that, it's time for you to, to go, and and you start giving them all the non-verbal cues of, uh, you know, it's not, maybe you go and get the vacuum cleaner out and you start vacuuming the carpet and, you know, you're in there washing the dishes and uh-huh, uh-huh, and, and they're just chapping, yapping away and they have no idea it's time to, to go home. Uh, my wife uh, uh, made a sign for our home that jokingly says, Mi casa es su casa until 9.30 p.m. All right, my home is your home until 9:30 p.m. All right, after that you got to go. All right, uh, John R. Rice uh, was a famous preacher of yesteryear. I guess he he had a stride in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, somewhere in there, and he would religiously go to bed at 9:30 p.m. He, he didn't care. He didn't care what was going on at 9:30 p.m. He was getting in bed, and uh, legend has it that if he had guests in his home. And it got to 9.30 and they were still there. He'd stand up from the couch and he'd look at them and say, Well, you all have a good night. I'm going to bed. And he'd go on in his bedroom and Mrs. Rice would have to show him out of the home. He'd go in and get in his pajamas and brush his teeth and under the covers he'd go and off to sleep. And it's, oh, okay, I guess it's time for us to leave. He's going to bed. Um, Listen, uh, I like having company, but there is a time where I want my space and I want my family time and I want just those who are related to me around me, but understand that 
you can't wear out God when it comes to dwelling in His presence. There isn't a point where He's ready to push you to the side and be done with you. He wants you to abide in His presence and tarry and stay. You cannot wear out the Lord. There's a story about a little blind girl who lived in France and she obtained a copy of the Gospel of Mark in raised letters, and she learned uh, to read it by the tips of her fingers and by constant reading and constant reading, uh, falling in love with this book. Their calluses developed on her fingers, and she could no longer make out all the letters and struggled to be able to read it. And in an attempt, in a desperate attempt to continue to read, she took out a knife to scrape off the calluses and ruined the tips of her fingers and the ability to touch them. And in a broken-hearted plea, she picked up her Bible with those raised braille letters and she pressed them to her lips with tears in her eyes and she said, Farewell, farewell, sweet words of my Heavenly Father. Only to realize to her surprise that her lips were more delicate than her fingers. She discerned the forms of the letters. And all night she pursued with her lips the Word of God overflowed with joy at this new acquisition. And that's what I call abiding with the Lord. When was the last time you read your Bible and tears dripped off your cheeks? Landed on the pages of the Bible. Because the Word of God was just so precious to you. The definition of abide, letter B, we see the duality of abiding. The duality of abiding. There is an interwoven component to this. Look back at John 15 and verse 4, and you'll notice how that this is a two-way street. Abiding is a two-way street. It's a it's a bidirectional. Um, uh, uh, it's a bidirectional. There's a bidirectional component to it. Look at John 15 verse 4. Look here. Abide in me, and I in you. You see that there. We abide in the Lord, and the Lord abides in us. Now the branch must be locked or tied into the vine in order to receive the nutrients needed to produce fruit. If you take the branch and you break it off of the vine and you just stick it down in the dirt, that branch is not going to produce anything. Now, notice likewise the vine needs branches to send the nutrients so that fruit can be produced. Do you see how both need uh, each other? The branch needs the vine in order to get the nutrients, but the vine needs the branch in order to produce fruit. If uh, one does not have the other, you cannot have a complete picture here. You cannot have fruit. So uh, we must realize that uh, the Lord needs us to produce fruit through our lives, and we need the Lord or we will not be able to produce this fruit. Uh, What happens when we are no longer connected to the Lord the way that we ought to be? Well, I can tell you what usually happens with Christians. We walk around and act like we are in front of other Christians because we would never want anybody to think that my abiding in Christ has stopped. And so we know how to dress and talk and act. But that Bible reading time has not been what it should be. That prayer time has fallen off. That that actual uh, uh, intimate relationship with the Lord. Christian, there needs to reach a point of maturity in your life where when you hit a moment in the day where you're not sure what to do, your immediate reflex is to bow your head and ask the Lord for His wisdom. Not call my spouse, call my friend, not pull up a Google search engine. It's stop and ask the Lord, what would you have me do? Show me the way forward. Because we're abiding in Christ. And He is abiding in us. 
What happens when that breaks off? We're not abiding in the Lord. Let me speak to the kids here today. You're in school. A lot of kids in school, whether it's high school, uh, middle school. We've got some middle schoolers in here. We've got some college students I see in the room tonight. What happens when you get stuck with your schoolwork? Is your reflex to get frustrated? Or to bow your head and say, Lord, show me the way forward. I need help with this. I've got a math problem I don't know how to solve. Instead of throwing your pencil down and saying, I'm not smart, I can't do this, did you ever stop and realize that you can ask the Lord to help you recall the things that you've been working on? Hey, I'm just trying to put it right down where we live tonight. you got a work project and you can't see your way through it. Instead of getting on and asking a colleague or telling your boss you can't do it, why not just bow your head and say, Lord, show me the way forward? It ought to even get to a place where things that are mundane, we begin to ask the Lord. Hey, Lord, I, I need to fill up my gas tank, and I'm in the habit of going here for gas, but where would you have me to go? Is there someone you would have me meet at the gas station that I could be an encouragement to? Lord, show me the way. You see, I think with Proverbs 3, 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I think what can happen is that we try to force that verse as a component into our life. Acknowledging the Lord in all our ways is the byproduct of abiding in Christ. Because if I'm abiding in Christ each and every day, by default, I'm going to acknowledge Him in all my ways. What happens when we pretend to be abiding, but indeed we're not? Well, we go to work, and instead of producing fruit for Him, we become a detriment to Him. Instead of speaking words of glory and honor and praise and showing others how a Christian responds to conflict uh, with kindness and with love and the fruits of the Spirit and showing the love of Christ, we end up responding with harshness and we return evil for evil and they're sitting there thinking, I, I thought she was a Christian. I thought he was a Christian. Why are they responding that way? Well, you're responding that way because you've not been abiding in Christ. Well, then we go home. And instead of facing hostility at home with grace, we return that hostility with a nasty spirit. Cause more conflict in the home. Now, I may be speaking to a group of people here this evening, and your home is like uh, perfect. You never have a rub with your spouse, and you never have a problem with your kids, and you know everything is just hunky-dory, and I mean, you have a slice of heaven at home all the time. I'm going to tell you right now, in full transparency, that is not the case in my house. You say, do your wife, you and your wife ever have conflict? Yes, we do. We're not having it right now, praise the Lord. But we have it sometimes. You, you, look down, you can look down your nose at me if you never have marriage problems, but I kind of think that's probably not true. At least get aggravated with each other sometimes, don't you? And you know what? Sometimes, me and my kids, we butt heads on things. You think, well, you know, my kids are raised and they were perfect. Well, listen, I'll have you preach next Sunday on how to have perfect kids. My kids are pretty well behaved, but sometimes there's conflict in our home. And you know what? When that happens, what we need in the Lejeune home is for the, the person who's facing the conflict to be abiding in Christ so that we can respond with grace and not with a temper. Amen? How many of you going to walk into work tomorrow and face somebody or something that's less than savory? Raise your hand. Okay, abide in Christ. Right? You get to represent Christ in that unsavory situation. Let me, uh, let me add another element to this. You ever had somebody ask you how God could send someone who's never even heard the name Jesus to hell? You ever thought about that? You got someone born over in the Middle East, raised in a Muslim home, and never hear the name Jesus? Not once. And they die. Would God really send that person to hell? That, that can seem like a difficult question to answer. 
Let me help explain the answer to the question. And the answer is yes, He will, by the way. How could God do that? Well, if you remember, Jesus stood there on the Mount of Olives before He ascended. And what did He tell His disciples? He said this. He said, Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world, all the world, and preach the Gospel to every creature. Why isn't that there are people who have never heard the name Jesus? Because there are Christians who are not abiding in Christ, therefore they're not obeying Christ. I think all across America and countries like this one, there are churches where people are just very comfortable. God would have had them go and preach the gospel to every creature. But because they're not abiding in Christ, they're never going to accomplish that. The people in the Middle East who never hear the name Jesus, it's not the Lord's fault. It's Christians who refuse to abide in Christ. You see, that fruit can't be produced because the branch has not connected itself to the vine. But we look good. We enjoy the choir. We enjoy the sermon. We enjoy lunch with some friends after church. But that's about the depth of our Christianity. And as a result, the world is dying and going to hell. Listen, I I don't mean to scare anyone tonight, and I don't mean to be unkind. In fact, I have chosen this demeanor and tone on purpose, with great intentionality. One thing I don't want to happen to me when I get to heaven is that God puts His arm around me and says, you got it wrong. I wanted you here preaching the Gospel, but in your laziness and stubbornness and your addiction to comfort, you would not do it And now all these people that I wanted you to reach never heard the Gospel. Now, at the end of the day, each person is responsible for their own soul. How many people will never hear the name Jesus because Christians were not abiding in Christ? You see, this is personable. This is is for you. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know where that would lead me. Maybe it would lead me to another country. Maybe it wouldn't. But boy, just the thought that it could lead me to another country scares me away. I'm just going to tell you that I know lots of missionaries. We support 56 of them, and I have worked to develop some level of a personal relationship with a large majority of our missionaries. And I'm going to tell you, the missionaries who are getting the job done and the missionaries of our church who are uh, working for the Lord, they are some of the happiest People I know, because they're right dead smack center in the will of God. Abiding in Christ is personable. I'd ask you tonight, are you abiding in Christ? Jesus said, abide in me. Number two, abiding in Christ is productive. Abiding in Christ is productive. Look at verse 5, back in John 15. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. Read that next phrase with me up to the colon. Ready? The same bringeth forth much fruit. You see that? The same bringeth forth much fruit. If I were to carefully select an apple seed and then carefully prepare the soil and then plant that apple seed and then carefully work to get that apple tree to the place where it could then produce much fruit, and then that tree got to the place where it was supposed to produce fruit, and I walked out that first season that those apples were to be there, and there were no apples on the tree, and then I came back the next season, and the next season, and the next season, and the next season, and that tree never gave me any apples. Do you know what I would call that tree? I'd call it a failure. I'd call it a failure. Did you ever stop to think that the day that Jesus Christ saved your soul, He had great hope that you would tie into the vine and that with enough time of His nutrients being poured through you, that you would produce fruit for Him. 
I don't mean to be unkind tonight, but Christians that don't produce fruit are a failure when it comes to being a Christian. You were saved, Ephesians 2.10, to be a workmanship in Jesus Christ. We are called to bear much fruit. And this is an automatic byproduct of abiding in Christ. Well, what kind of fruit then should a Christian produce? Letter A. Letter A. Our prayers are answered. Our prayers are answered. Look at John 15. Look at verse number 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. This is really good. And it shall be done unto you. I mentioned on a Wednesday evening, a few, uh, probably about a month ago now, that I am in the middle of praying for God to do a miracle. I am praying the largest prayer I have ever prayed in my life. And let me tell you folks, I'm taking this thing serious. This is something I'm taking before the Lord, and, and I'm really laying this thing out for Him and asking Him for a great miracle in my life. And in this process of praying for this miracle, I have gone through the Bible and found verses like John 15, 7, and I have prayed these prayers back to the Lord. Notice here, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it might be done unto you. That's not what it says. And I'll consider doing it for you. That's not what it says. It says, it shall be done unto you. You say, Pastor, do you expect God to answer this prayer uh, uh, and perform this great miracle? I, I absolutely expect it to happen. I don't know when, and I don't know how. I don't know the Lord's timing, but I know this. I'm claiming verses like John 15, 7, and I expect the Lord to come through. Now, excuse me if I'm wrong, but it sure sounds like John 15, 7 is saying that if I'm abiding in Christ the way I ought to, and He's abiding in me like I ought to, that every prayer I pray will get answered. Does that not seem to be what it says here? Am I stretching the verse? I don't believe I am. How about Jeremiah 33.3? If you know it, say it with me. Ready? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You ever realize that we're praying prayers on this level, and God says, oh, no, 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 no. I want you to, I want to answer your prayer up here on this level. See, I have a greater vision for what I want to give you than you could ever have for yourself. But where does it begin? It begins by calling upon the name of the Lord. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. This just comes down to trust. Trust. Do you trust the Lord to get you through the hard times of life? Someone mistreats you or mishandles you? Someone takes advantage of you? Raise your hand if you've ever had somebody take advantage of you. Oh, to be human is to have people take advantage of you. You know what? Uh, is, are you trusting in yourself to avenge yourself, or are you trusting in the Lord to avenge you? Uh, when uh, life comes at you and it's hard, are you trusting in yourself, or are you trusting in the Lord? In the Lord. And we must learn to trust in the Lord. Now, here's a question that I have been faced with uh, recently in my Bible study and prayer time. Uh, let me ask it to you uh, as though it's aimed at you. Okay, here's the question. Do you trust... Trust God to teach you how to pray. Do you trust God to teach you how to pray? And I'm talking to everybody in the room tonight, whether you've been praying for five minutes or for, for 50 years. You know all of us can be better at praying. Every one of us. There's nobody here that's got praying down pat and figured out. You say, well, Pastor, when will we have prayer down pat and figured out? When you get to heaven and your sin nature is totally removed and you are face to face with the Lord. That's when you'll have it figured out. Until then, we all can grow in praying. Amen? Are we in agreement on that? Do you trust the Lord to teach you how to pray? You see, many times we say, well, I don't know how to pray. I feel like I'm just praying to the ceiling and I feel like my prayers are not answered, how about you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you'll teach me how to pray. 
Psalm 37, verse 4. I'm hitting some verses that are familiar to us this evening. Psalm 37, verse 4. Again, if you know it, say it with me. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I love this verse. There's a pastor or a preacher I enjoy listening to named Jim Shetler. I remember a church I was attending once he came to, and his entire sermon was out of Psalm 37, 4. An incredible sermon. Uh, just uh, well-delivered, well-preached from his heart. And he talked about the importance of delighting yourself in the Lord. Delighting yourself in the Lord. This is a, a time of deep satiation, satisfaction with that intimate time with the Lord. Now, um, I love to take my family out for ice cream. Love to take my family out for ice cream. Uh, we do that occasionally, especially in the summer we'll do that. I'll put uh, Angela and Matthew and April in the car. And uh, we, When we lived in uh, Beacon Falls, we'd ride up to Rich's Farm. How many of you ever been to Rich's Farm up in Oxford? If you've not gone, at some point you got to go. I've been to most of the places around here because I'm an ice cream connoisseur. All right? uh, I've been to most of the places around here that sell it. I don't know that any place has Rich's Farm top. And if you think you found a better place, come see me after church. I want to know about it, alright? But I love, love going to Rich's Farm. We lived up that way. It's been a while since I've been up there. I think Angela took the kids up there this summer when I was out of town. But uh, I love to go with my family. I especially love going with just April to get ice cream. You know why? Angela and Matthew don't love ice cream, but me and April, we love ice cream. And you know what? When me and April go... I can order whatever size I want and don't have to worry about Angela getting on me about how big of a cone I ordered. And uh, she's trying to watch my waistline, and I appreciate that about her. But when she's not there, then I'm not really worried about it. So me and April go, and we get the largest waffle cone they sell and get the largest amount they sell. And then her and I race to finish our ice cream cone so that we can help the other one. Right, April? Help the other one finish that ice cream cone. And you know what? I delight in eating ice cream. I love to eat ice cream. Uh, listen, uh, I don't know that there's a bad type of ice cream. Anybody in here enjoy pistachio ice cream? Wow. That might be the only one I don't like, but there's a bunch of you in here that do. But I love ice cream. I, listen, there's hardly a bad ice cream out there. I love, 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 love ice cream. You know, I've learned in my life it's easy for the flesh to delight in things of the flesh. It's hard for our spirit to delight in the things that are spiritual. In fact, usually we have to kick the flesh to the curb in order to really dig into the Bible and love it. We have to kick the flesh out of the way to really get on our knees and pray. I met with a young man this week and he's just a new Christian and excited about his faith and just, just asking a lot of questions and trying to find his way. And I asked him this question. I said, what does it mean to walk with God? And he, he fumbled and, and bumbled and, and couldn't answer the question. And I said, well, what does it mean to go on a walk with your girlfriend? He said, well, okay, when you put it like that, it would be meaning that I do some talking and, and, and she does some talking and I do some listening and, and she does some listening and we go out and we enjoy each other's company. And I said, that is exactly correct. And I said, now, let me ask the question again. What does it mean to walk with God? He said, well, I guess God does some talking and, and I do some listening and I do some talking and God does some listening. I said, that's correct. How is it that we talk to God? You can see the wheels turning. He's brand new. He just got saved. First time ever really going to a church like ours ever. And he said, well, I guess we, we talk to God through prayer. And I said, how does God talk to us? And he struggled to come up with an answer. And I said, he does that through his word. That's what it means to walk with God. To abide. To abide. To tarry. Uh, to dwell. To stay and rest. To abide in Christ. And what happens when we do that is we end up delighting ourselves in the Lord. Now, when you delight yourself in the Lord, watch what happens here. He's going to give you the right desires to have. 
Aren't you thankful that uh, you don't have to wonder what to pray? The Lord will put in your heart exactly what He wants you to pray. If someone ever walks up to you and says, do you have a prayer request? And you say, you know what that means? That means you're not praying. Or you'd know. You'd know. You'd have things to pray over. You'd have things to pray over. Because the Lord will put a desire in your heart, exactly what to pray for. And then, not only does He give you the right desires, He gives you the desires of your heart as you ask for them. Look back with me at John 15, verse 7. Look here. John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in Me, and My words abide in you. My words abide in you. What are the words of the Lord Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus is the living Word and this Bible is the written Word. Have you ever stopped and just prayed the Bible? Pastor Andrew and I did not coordinate the song service with the sermon this evening, but I'm so glad he had us singing Scripture songs tonight. But have you? And it's great to sing the Bible. I'm with him. I love to sing the Bible, especially when I'm in a bad mood. If you ever hear me whistling Bible verses or singing Bible verses, you can probably surmise I'm doing it because I'm trying to get myself into a better mood. All right? I love to do that. But you know what? You know what? I love to pray the Bible. I try to read out of the book of Psalms every day. And you know what oftentimes I do? When I open the book of Psalms, especially if it's a psalm that's of devotion to the Lord, I'll pray a prayer that sounds something like this, Lord, I don't know that I can word it any better than the psalmist did right here. And so I'm going to repeat what he said, but this is coming from my heart. And I will pray the psalms out loud to the Lord. I want the Word of Christ to dwell in me. And I would be amiss not to add here that how else do you get the Word of God to abide in you? Well, you need to read it. You need to study it. You need to memorize it. You need to meditate on it. You need to go forth and you need to live it. It ought to be that the Word of Christ just comes pouring, oozing from your pores. Because it's the most important thing to you. What, what, what do we produce abiding in Christ? Well, we produce answered prayers. Letter B, not only are our prayers answered, we see letter B, God's love is channeled. God's love is channeled. Look with me at John 15 and look at verse 8 and 9. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Verse 9 is such a profound verse in Scripture. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Look down at verse 12. Jesus continues, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Take your Bible over to Proverbs 16 if you could. I was studying this passage as a teenage boy. I can take you right to where I was when I was studying this passage. I still remember where I was when the Lord was just working on my heart. And I had this... Um, is the word epiphany. I had this thought. I had this light bulb moment. Here, here it is. I came to realize that I could never love with the same quantity of love that the Lord has loved me. Have you ever stopped to think about how much love, the quantity, have you ever stopped to think about what quantity of love it took God to love you? And love me? If you haven't, take some time and read and study Romans 5. We were not only ungodly. We were not only unlovable. Romans 5 declares that we were the enemy of God. In our sin, we had become the enemy of God. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, what love! 
He looked down and He said, I don't, I, you're not lovable, you're a broken sinner, but I'm going to love you anyway. I don't understand how a God so divine could humble Himself and, and, and come down and save and rescue a sinner like me. There's nothing lovable about me and there's nothing lovable about you. But God reached into the depths of His infinite love bank and He chose to love us anyway. And He says, I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. I want you to find the most unlovable person in your life and I want you to love them. I realized as a teenage boy that I could never love with that quantity. Because only the God of the universe is capable of loving a worthless sinner. But I did realize that what I could do is love with the same quality of love. What do I mean by that? I mean that I can hunt out that person who dislikes me the most and is the hardest to get along with in my life And I can choose that I will love them no matter what. Because that's what God did for me. I will love with that same quality. I will love others no matter how they treat me. I'm speaking to a group of mature Christians tonight mostly. But I'm going to tell you an area where I struggled much of my life until I became a pastor and now I don't have an option to struggle with this. That's loving your enemies. Do you know how to love your enemy? I mean, truly love them. I mean, get on your knees and pray for the ones that despitefully use you. You see, you can't do this unless you're abiding in Christ. Because if you're trying... Listen now... If you're trying to love them through some sort of mustered up love, some sort of uh, conjured up, produced love on them... That's going to run dry. Read, read, read letter B for me there on the screen. Ready? God's love is channeled. You know what that means? I'm not loving you with my love. I'm loving you with His love. I'm connecting up to God when I abide in Christ and the love of Christ comes flowing straight through me like a channel and pouring all over that person who is hard to love. God's love is channeled. You see, when you are abiding in Christ and He is abiding in you, one evidence of that is that you are loving people who are largely unlovable. That's why the rather, that's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16, look at verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now this is a fascinating verse. Notice it doesn't say that he makes his enemies to no longer be his enemies. It says he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. I've had some people in my life who have just decided they were going to be my enemy and it did not matter how hard I tried not to let them be my enemy. It did not matter how hard I worked to reconcile the relationship. It did not matter how much effort I put in to fixing and repairing things. They had dug in their hills. They had dug their trench. They had pulled out their gun and they were going to fire at me all along the way. They were never going to let me reconcile with them. They had decided they were going to be my enemy. But you know what? I have decided with people like that, I will just keep... Keep pouring love on them until we are at peace, even if we have to continue to be enemies. You see, when a man's ways please who? The Lord. He makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Why? Because God's love is being channeled through him or through her. It's not my superior abilities to love the unlovable. It's not. There's only so much you and I can do. But, what we can do is channel up to God and let Him love others through us. I'm sim- Watch, I'm simply the branch tied into the vine. And the nutrients of love come running up through that branch and produce the fruit of love uh, on people who are broken and unlovable. Are you someone who loves the unlovable or are you someone who spites those who wrong you? 
well, I'm not texting him because he stopped texting me. And I'm no longer reaching out to her because she no longer reaches out to me. And I'm no longer commenting on his or her Facebook post because they no longer comment on mine. Fooey all that stuff. That's petty immaturity. I'm blocking them because they blocked me. Listen, there may be a time where that stuff is needed and healthy and you pray over those things, but by and large what we need is to stop being petty and to start loving one another. Letting God's love be channeled through us. What is, what is productive? How do you produce abiding in Christ? Well, your prayers are answered. God's love is channeled. Let her see. Our joy remains full. Our joy remains full. Look down with me at John 15 and look at verse number 11. And this passage is so rich. We could probably preach John 15 for 13 to 20 weeks and not even begin to get far below the surface. But we're, we're going to look at the highlights here. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, Jesus says, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Here in Stratford, in the home where we live, where we reside, we have city water. How many of you here have city water? Raise your hand if you have city water. Raise your hand if you have well water. Anybody here have well water? All right. I had well water in the last house I lived in, but now we have city water. And in our home, there is a water main that can be uh, turned. I guess that would be the case for well water houses as well. But there's a water main where we can turn off the water in the case of a burst pipe or some problem in an emergency. I hope you know where the water main in your house is, because that could come in very handy. How many of you have ever had to run and turn off the water main in an emergency? Anybody here, here ever had to do that? Uh, I, I, I don't know that we've had to do it where we live, but I know right where it is. I know right where it is with their owns. We're good. If we have an emergency, I'll turn it off, then I'll call you, okay? Uh, but to know where that water main is, and um, what happens when you turn the water main to the house off? You can, you can, you can turn the faucet on and what little is left reserved in the pipes will come flowing out to a trickle and it'll stop. And here's what I think most Christians have done. The day you got saved, you had hooked up to your heart the pipe of joy, God's joy, right into your heart. But when we cease to abide in Christ, we shut off we shut off that joy main. I've met so many Christians who walk through life and they're just sad and struggling and hurting. And listen, I don't mean to pick on anybody tonight, but the Word of God is very clear. Jesus said this. He didn't say might. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say there were exceptions to this. He said definitively, if you abide in me and I abide in you, your joy will remain full. It doesn't matter if my house has faucets and toilets and showers. It doesn't matter if it has all of the and pipes in place. If the water main is turned off, I'm not getting water into those uh, areas. And you know what? If the joy main is turned off in your heart because you're not abiding in Christ, it doesn't matter that you're outfitted as a Christian to be joyous. That joy dries up and is gone. To use the example or the analogy in the Scripture, uh, you may act like you're connected into Christ and you may even uh, pretend as though you are with fake fruit, but if all you are is a branch stuck down in the ground, not connected to the Lord, that fruit of joy dries up on your branch and ceases to exist. Look down at verse 20. Jesus is getting ready to depart from His disciples. They're getting ready to go into a time of great sorrow. I believe in John 16, they're walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already left to go and find the Pharisees to betray Jesus or the Sadducees to betray Jesus. And he knows their, he and his disciples are getting ready to go into a time of great sorrow. And what does he choose to talk about? He chooses to talk about joy. Look at verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Chapter 16, look at verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. 
But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask... Uh, the Father in my name, He will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy might be or may be full. Here Jesus says you're going to go through times of sorrow, but if you'll stay faithful to the Lord, sorrow will be turned into joy. What fruits do you produce as you abide in Christ? Well, just to look at those listed strictly in John 15 and 16, we see that our prayers are answered. We see that God's love is channeled, and we see that our joy remains full. Number three, and lastly, notice, abiding in Christ must take priority. It must take priority. Go back with me to John 15 and look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, look at that, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So what happens is when we don't abide in Christ, we wither up and we dry up. Letter A, notice abiding is critical. Abiding is critical. Verse 5 says this, without me, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. Now, if you and I are not abiding in Christ, we can't do anything that actually matters in life. Now, what can you do while you're not abiding in Christ? There are some things you can do, but they're not anything that actually matters against eternity. What can you do? Well, you can make money and not abide in Christ. You can buy houses and things while not abiding in Christ. You can have lots of friends while not abiding in Christ. You, you can climb some corporate ladder and not abide in Christ. But without, without Christ, you can't do anything that matters for eternity. Very few know more than just a handful of details about their great-great-grandparents. A handful of you in here that maybe know who your great-great-grandparents are. Know some details because you have taken the time to be studious on that. But if I went around the room here and I said, tell me your great-great-grandmother's name on your mother's side, most of you would not be able to do it. Do you realize that you're going to be that great-great-grandfather or grandmother at some point if the Lord tarries? You know what won't matter when you get to be that far removed from being alive? It won't matter where you lived. It won't matter how much money you made. It won't matter what kind of car you drove. It won't matter what kind of clothes you wore. It won't matter who your friends were. None of those things will matter. You know what will matter at that point? What you did for eternity. That's it. That's it. And that's all that will matter for the rest of eternity. So much, so much of our time and attention is focused on things that just really don't matter. And we go through life and we're not abiding. We're not dwelling. We're not tarrying. We're not staying a while and resting in the Lord and doing so on a regular, if not constant, basis. If you want to be that branch that is not attached to the vine, you will eventually dry up and wither. And the only thing that this type of wood is good for is to be burned. How many of you burn wood to keep your house warm? Anybody here do that? Anybody here burn wood? None of you burn wood to keep you a bunch of lazy people. No, I don't do it either, all right? Uh, burn wood to keep your house warm. You know how this works, though, right? You, you take wood that's, that's been cut off from the, the source, and you, uh, you get it cut up into small pieces, and you put a tarp over it, don't you? And you let it do what? You let it dry out. They call that letting it season. And you know what I find is that there are people who they quit producing for the Lord a long time ago because they stopped abiding in Christ a long time ago. You know that you can be a dry piece of wood and still sit on a church pew three times a week. You can be a dry piece of wood and go through the motions of looking like a good Christian. You know the only thing that dead, dry wood is good for? 
is to be burned. Now, this is not talking about being cast into hell. This is talking about 1 Corinthians 3, our works being burned in a fire. I encourage you to look at that on your own time. Abiding is critical. You must abide in Christ. Letter B. Abiding must be constant. Abiding must be constant. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There must be a constant connection. A constant connection. For you to be constant, uh, then you must uh, walk with God. Notice, I'm going to give you three ways that you must walk with God. Write these down below, um, constant there. First, you must walk with God in private. You must walk with God in private. I've heard people say, I don't have a prayer time, I have a prayer life. And on that I say, hooey on that. You don't have a prayer time, then you don't have a prayer life. Anyone I know that uh, has a rich, rich, deep walk with the Lord, they have etched time out of their schedule. It is planned in their schedule where they pray. You say, well, I can't pray, I'm too busy. Then you are too busy. If you don't have time to pray, then you don't have your priorities in order. You understand that you can't abide in Christ without some form of a prayer life. You must abide in Christ through prayer. You must abide in Christ in private prayer. I told somebody this week, I said, if you pray more in public than you do in private, you, my friend, are a Pharisee. Too many people know how to pray eloquent prayers in the church body, but truth be told, that's about the only time they pray. It ought to be that you're on your knees or walking with the Lord or talking to Him while you're driving down the road or talking to Him when you go for a walk or uh, you have some place, you have some time every day where you and the Lord get alone and you abide in Him and He abides in you. It must be constant. There's a story about a circuit riding preacher of yesteryear who was walking through a street filled with covered wagons and horses. And it was a busy town and busy street. And this man walking across the street with his friend, his friend turns around and his preacher friend is standing in the middle of the road with horses walking past him, coming inches away from missing him. And his preacher friend's just standing there with his head down. He goes back and grabs his preacher by the shirt and he says, what are you doing? You're going to get hit. And he said, I just realized there was an offense between me and the Lord. I did not want to take one more step until I got that fixed with Him. Abiding must be constant. Abiding must be constant. Billy Sunday's wife said uh, at uh, his uh, eulogy and his funeral, uh, she said, I would say to Billy, who are you talking to? And he would say, I'm talking to the Lord. She said, it got to a place where I just quit asking. Abiding must be constant. We must speak to the Lord in private. Notice, we must abide with the Lord in our daily practices. Our daily practices. Abiding in Christ must move from just a few minutes in the morning to your, in your relationship with Him, to your relationship with Him being front and center of everything that you think, you say, and you do. When you have a difficult decision at work, stop and pray about it. When you're frustrated in the moment over the way someone's treating you, stop and pray about it. When you're considering your entertainment options, you should stop and pray about it. Uh, you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom so that you can make the choices that keep you tied in to the vine moment by moment. It ought to uh, take over and engulf the way you think and operate and practice and it ought to reach in and touch every area of your life. Abiding must be constant and private in our daily practices. And notice here, the last one I'll give you is in public. In public, soon everyone will know that you're in love with your Jesus. That your relationship with Jesus is the number one thing that defines who you are. You won't have to run around and tell anyone that you're a Christian because anyone who spends any time around you will know that He is the most important thing in your life. You can't help but talk about Him. You can't help but reference Him. You can't help but represent Him because He is becoming you. 
you are becoming Him as you abide in the vine. As you abide in Christ, and He abides in you, the world will soon know that Christ means more to you than anything or anyone else. Pastor Lejeune won't, will no longer have to push you to carry tracks. will no longer have to push you to tell others about Jesus because this is a natural byproduct of abiding in Christ. You cannot help but speak the things which you're regularly seeing and hearing. What is the command of Christ? In John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Do you abide in Christ? Or are you the branch that pretends to abide in Christ? And truth be told, that walk with the Lord is greatly lacking. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it ought to be. Maybe it's not what it could be. Maybe you have been abiding in Christ. But it's grown stale. It's just not what, it, not what you know the Lord would want it to be. Are you abiding in Christ?